When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun, NASCAR icon, Dale Earnhardt 61. Jr. Kirk Herbstreit is on the phone. The Air Tour Sports Here. Podcast. It is Wait. Wednesday, September 6th, 2023. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. I hope everybody, by the way, enjoyed the Tuesday recap episode of the Aaron Torres pod. If you missed it, we recapped basically all of week one. We talked Colorado, uh, Florida State, LSU, on and on. But it's Wednesday. We got ourselves a new episode for you in your feeds today. Here's what you need to know about today's show. So we recorded Tuesday's show before the chaos of Monday night. Clemson, a complete disaster against Duke. Is this program over as a national college football power? I think it might be. We're going to discuss that. From there, we'll take a quick break. And it's interesting, right? We've had three, four, five days to digest what happened in Fort Worth with Colorado as Colorado now gets set to play Nebraska this weekend. Many of you have asked, Torres, what is the ceiling of this Colorado team this season? We are going to discuss that. And then finally, Cannot believe it. We actually have a college hoop story here on a Wednesday in September. As I record, Zvonavir Ivicic, a player from Kentucky, basically a a five-star recruit equivalent uh, from Croatia, has not yet been admitted to school. Cleared by the NCAA, not admitted to school. It is an ever-evolving story. It may have changed by the time you listen to this, but I am going to give you the latest on this absurd, absurd, absurd story. So busy Wednesday show ahead. Should mention, we are now officially back on schedule. We will have our standard Friday show. lot to preview on Friday. Alabama, Texas, Texas A&M going to Miami. Fun week two in college football. And also really quick before we start today's show, I should mention, if you are a business owner, work for a small business that might be interested in advertising with the Aaron Torres pod, please let me know. You can reach out Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. You know, listen, football season's here. We want to work with partners that we love and we believe in. If you're interested, if you think you're the right fit, if you want to reach tens of thousands of people weekly, make sure to reach out. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. We're going to have new graphics on YouTube here momentarily. So it's going to be great exposure for you, for your company, all that good stuff. So make sure to reach out Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. With that said, there is no more time to waste. So let's get to the topic of the day and the topic of the day. uh, It's kind of wild, right? So midday to, I guess it would have been Monday. I was able to put a bow on the Tuesday Aaron Torres pot. I wasn't able to record Sunday, wasn't able to get you the new episode on Monday, but I figured I'll go ahead and record post LSU Florida State. What could possibly happen in the Clemson Duke game? If anything interesting happens, we'll talk about it on Tuesday. And that is exactly what did happen. 
I thought Duke was actually pretty good. Mike Elko is a great coach. They won nine games. Riley Leonard is a probably uh, day one to two NFL draft pick, like a first, you know, late first, early second rounder. I thought to myself, okay, Clemson, it's been a weird couple years. Um, you know, uh, something could happen, but Clemson's going to find a way to win. We'll talk about it on Wednesday show. Well, what happens instead? Not only does Clemson not win, but we get one of the wildest, most abominable, awful, ugly performances that I think any of us have ever seen as Duke. They deserve all the credit. They deserve all the praise. They beat Clemson at home 28 to seven. And while I don't want to take anything away from Duke, the story is you know, I say it all the time. The more interesting story is often in the losing locker room. That is absolutely the case here. And that is because Clemson, I think it's fair to discuss. Is this team done as a college football power as we know it? Because I think the answer might be. We'll get into that momentarily. But if you watch the game, I mean, it, it was wild because on the one hand, this was supposed to be the great coming out party for the new Clemson offense. Okay. We all know the Clemson narrative over the last couple of years really since Trevor Lawrence left, it, 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 the, the offense just hasn't clicked. And it's been blamed on a few different people, certainly DJ Uwe Laganlele, who is now at Oregon State, actually was awesome on Sunday in a win over San Jose State, but then also on the previous offensive coordinator, Brandon Streeter. So you go out, you get the buzziest offensive coordinator you possibly could, Garrett Riley from TCU. Uh, this was a guy that everybody coveted, everybody wanted, everybody wanted to bring in. Clemson was the one that got him. Clemson historically not a program that shakes up its coaching staff very often, but they go get this guy. He ends up coming in, and you pair him with former five-star Cade Klubnik, who, to his credit, did look good in the ACC championship game last year, although it didn't look that great in the Orange Bowl, but that's neither here nor there. Kate Klubnik looks good, five-star, elite offensive coordinator. It's going to be fireworks all over the field. Well, those fireworks sputtered out really fast because, again, as I said, this was one of the ugliest, ugliest performances I, I think I've ever seen, okay? In total, Clemson turned the ball over three times and had two field goals blocked, and they really kind of came at the worst times possible. First quarter, you're down, you're looking for momentum, field goal blocked. Then in the third quarter, you're trailing. You need some momentum. You're starting to move the ball. Things are starting to go well. And every time Clemson got close, it's like Charlie Brown trying to kick the football. The second you get toward, towards that end zone, bad stuff happened. There was another blocked field goal in the third quarter. There was a fumble on the Duke eight-yard line in the red zone. And then finally the killer, uh, early fourth quarter, Clemson fumbles on the Duke one-yard line. On the literal one-yard line, they fumble. And that's when you know it is just not Clemson's night. And so I think in the smaller picture, you can just sit there and say, look, bad night for Clemson, didn't work out well, wasn't their night, they'll bounce back, they'll be fine. But to me, I, I think it's a much, much, much bigger issue. Because remember, this is a Clemson team that two years in a row has not made the college football playoff. Two years in a row has had to settle for only 10 wins. And I understand it's a different world Clemson, 10 wins for most schools would be unbelievable. That's not the standard at Clemson. The standard is win ACC championships, make the college football playoff, compete for national championships. They haven't done it for two years. And I'll say even with the staff shakeup, I know it's only one game. I don't think they're any closer. And when I look at this and when I talk about Clemson being done as a college football power, 
This is what I'm talking about. Because if you watch this game, something jarring stood out to me. I didn't think that athletically there was much difference that between Duke and Clemson. And to be clear, Duke is not one of these schools. Respect to Colorado, respect to Auburn, respect to LSU last year. Duke isn't one of these schools that could just go out and add 60 guys in the portal or 40 guys in the portal or whatever. This is about development, coaching, et cetera, from Mike Elko. But this is also Clemson's roster. Did It didn't look like the vintage Clemson teams of four, five, six years ago. You could sit there and say, well, Clemson outgained Duke. They did. But at the same time, it, it wasn't just the fumble. Watch the game. First of all, the offensive line. I know the rushing stats were impressive, but Duke also had six tackles for loss, a bunch of sacks. And while there were certainly opportunities to run the ball, I thought the offensive line just looked just okay. Beyond that, the wide receivers, I know the stats say that Cade Klubnick threw for over 200 yards. Cade Klubnick averaged less than five yards per completion. That ain't the scheme. That ain't Garrett Riley. That's the fact that I saw a bunch of guys at Clemson that can't get open. This is a school that was once wide receiver U about six, seven years ago. This is the school that produced T. Higgins, Sammy Watkins, DeAndre Hopkins, Mike Williams, a first-round pick. They don't have guys that can separate. They don't have guys that can just go make plays. Watch college football. Colorado has five or six of those guys on their offense right now. You throw them the ball, they make one guy miss it 60 yards to the house. Um, certainly, Alabama has those guys. Florida State has those guys. Uh, whoever. LSU. LSU has a bunch of them. They didn't win, but they got a bunch of them. Um, you go on down the USC. You go on and on down the list. Clemson doesn't have any of those guys. And then even on defense, where they've been pretty good. They gave up almost seven yards per carry on Monday night. And so you can sit there and say, oh, it's one game. It's a bunch of fumbles. It's this, it's that. No, no. Defense didn't look good. Skill positions didn't look good. Offensive line didn't look good. And so to me, what this comes back down to, there's only so many years you can say, oh, it's the quarterback. Oh, it's the offensive line. At some point, a program just is regressing. We can pretend that that's not the case, but that is the case in my opinion right now with Clemson. You look at Clemson, doesn't look the same, and it comes back to a lot of what we've talked about in the offseason and a lot of what we've talked about over the last year or two. I think that Dabo Sweeney's stubbornness has not only hurt this program, I think it's starting to catch up with him. And if you listen to this show or if you follow college football, you're probably pretty familiar with, with, with what I'm talking about. But Dabo has been a guy that has been a very vocal anti-transfer portal guy. We've talked about it on this show quite a bit. And he's basically, his stance has been when we offer a guy, we're making a commitment to him. He's making a commitment to us. When he commits, we're not just going to recruit over him the second things go bad. We've made a commitment to him. He's made a commitment to us. We're going to work together to get the most out of that kid. And I think in many ways, that's a very noble stance to have. I would love for my son to play that. I would love to know that if my son has a bad week or a bad month or a bad year or, you know, struggles with an injury that the coaching staff isn't going to kick him to the curb. But at the same time, even if you're being loyal to the guys in your program, eventually it's a numbers game. I believe the stat is, I could be wrong on this. Clemson in this transfer portal era, they've essentially taken one transfer. It was a quarterback who transferred out of Clemson and then transferred back in a year ago. And so, again, it's noble. I respect Dabo Sweeney and what his intentions are. But 
You're not going to ever go 25 for 25 in a high school recruiting class and develop all of them and they'll all work out well. Injuries happen. Medical retirements happen. You miss on some evaluations and some guys transfer. And so when that happens, you have to be able to backfill and it works. By the way, not everybody has to be Colorado. Again, I've defended Colorado all summer because Colorado had to do it because the roster was terrible. But not everybody has to be Colorado. But Georgia added two wide receivers because they felt like the room was lacking. There was a lack of depth. They needed more bodies. Alabama had added a couple of DBs after they lost DBs in the transfer portal. I don't think Nick Saban wanted to go in the portal. But when you lose two, three guys, he's he's got to he's going to fill those scholarships. And so that's what Alabama did. And so I think, you know, Dabo, fair or not, like there's just this misconception that, oh, my God, well, I mean, he has to, uh, you know, like he's being loyal to his guys. I get it. But some of his guys aren't being loyal back. And so it's it's almost like, and this is going to sound extreme, but it's like an eye for an eye. I'm not saying if Aaron Torres or John Smith, the wide receiver, just has a bad year that you got to kick him out of the program. But if Aaron Torres has a bad year and John Smith leaves the program, then you should probably go to the portal to try to find a body to replace him. It's just the new world of college football. And what I come back to is if you're not doing this, you're putting your program into disservice. Okay, I'll use a cross-sport comparison. I'm going to talk John Calipari, Kentucky basketball here in a few minutes with their five-star recruit and, and the issues that they're having. But why I bring it up, John Calipari, about three, four years ago, five years ago, was very vocal being anti-transfer portal. He said, it's killing the small schools. I've had, I've had friends who's lost jobs because their best players leave at the last minute. And he was very anti-transfer portal. And then he started getting his butt kicked by older, more experienced players. And about three off seasons ago, when Oscar Shibwe was available and Kellen Grady was available and whoever, he started taking more of them. And he said publicly, he said, I don't like this, but my job is not to do what's right and perfect. My job is to do what's best for the University of Kentucky basketball team. Tom Izzo, same way, very anti-transfer portal. Know their best player is last year and this coming year? Tyson Walker, a transfer. And so from Dabo Sweeney's perspective, it's noble, it's whatever. But you're hurting your program, you're hurting your team. And I'll be honest, I think Duke might be better than we realize. But I also think that you see that performance from Clemson. I mean, how can you feel good about that schedule going forward? One, just look at, first of all, they got Florida State coming to town here in a few weeks, like literally three weeks, three Saturdays from now, Florida State will be there. Did you watch Florida State, who, oh, by the way, has been very aggressive in the portal? Um, Keon Coleman, three touchdowns from the portal. Um, you know, Johnny Wilson, wide receiver from the portal. Jared Verse, maybe the best edge rusher in college football from the portal. Now they've developed guys too, but Mike Norvell was like, I, I don't have five years to rebuild this thing. I got to hit, I got to get some guys out of the transfer port. So they still have Florida state. They still have Notre Dame at home. By the way, transfer quarterback, Sam Hartman. They still have Miami later on in the year. Miami, a bunch of transfers should be much improved. You go on and on and on down the list. Clemson's schedule is not easy this year. If you look at it, I should mention, by the way, they have North Carolina second to last week of the season. They have NC State. They have South Carolina. Look at those games. Tell me where the guaranteed wins are. Florida State at home. Notre Dame at home. North Carolina at home. South Carolina on the road. Miami on the road. They're going to rip through the rest of that schedule and make the college football playoff the way they looked last night? I don't think so. And so look, maybe I am wrong. 
Maybe this does happen. Maybe it turns out differently than I expect. But I think what we saw from Clemson, look, they're not going to be worse from a turnover special teams perspective. But I just didn't see enough talent. I didn't see the talent that's definitively, I didn't see the talent that's going to beat Florida State at all. I didn't see the talent that's going to beat Notre Dame. I didn't even see the talent. Like North Carolina looked better in their opener than Clemson did this weekend. Miami looked better in their opener. I watched the NC State opener at UConn. Brennan Armstrong's were really good. So I could go on and on, but I'll just wrap by saying, listen, you know, uh, what's the old saying? Rome wasn't built in a day, and it didn't fall in a day either. And it's the same with college football, college basketball. You don't always realize that you're on a backslide until it's too late. And I know Clemson has changed their uh, you know, offensive coordinator. We all like Cade Klubnick coming out of high school, but they do not look like the same team to me. And I'd be worried if I was a Clemson fan about the future of this program. All right, so what I want to do, take a quick break. When I come back, we are going to switch gears and talk a little bit looking ahead. Colorado, big week one win. The question that many of you have asked, what is the ceiling of this team this year? Fascinating question. We discussed that. Be right. We'll be tripped over my own words. Right back. All right, everybody. I am back. Going to be back. Going to be back. I do want to switch gears. And I do want to revisit the biggest story of the weekend in college football and, frankly, all of sports. And that was what happened on Saturday afternoon in Fort Worth when Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, in his debut at Colorado, took care of business against TCU. Now, we're not going to revisit that game. We already talked about it on Tuesday's show. If you missed it, go back and download it. But I want to start to look ahead. And not quite so far ahead that we're going to talk about the Nebraska game this coming weekend. We'll do the preview on Friday. But instead, I just kind of want to do a big picture conversation about Colorado. Because following the win on Saturday, I had a bunch of you guys reach out to me. Guys and girls reach out to me, DM, uh, email, whatever. And a lot of you asked me, Torres, I'm blown away. I cannot believe what I just saw. What is the ceiling for this team this year? And so I want to take a minute, I want to discuss that, and I want to start by saying this, is that I think for all of us, even the believers in Coach Prime, the believers in Colorado, I don't think there's any debate that the ceiling is higher than we all thought it was. I was a guy that I I didn't think, I, I thought they were going over the three and a half wins. Was that four? Was it five? Was it bowl eligibility in a best case scenario? Absolutely. But now, after seeing it all in person, I I think the ceiling might even be a little bit higher. Not saying 12 and 0, not saying a Pac 12 championship, but I do think it is higher for a few different reasons. The first one, and I was thinking about this Pac 12 is really, really good this year. But I think you can legitimately argue that based on what we saw, I don't think there is a single game that Colorado will play outside of USC where they'll face Caleb Williams, where they will not have the best quarterback on the field. Shador Sanders was unbelievable. And listen, Travis Hunter was dynamic, the star, whatever. But my personal biggest takeaway was I was a Shador guy and I was even blown away by how good Shador Sanders was on Saturday against TCU. This was a guy coming in. I have hyped him. We knew he was good or I knew he was good because he was offered by Bama out of high school, offered by Georgia out of high school. Um, and oh, by the way, was incredible at Jackson State last year. 70% completion percentage, 40 touchdowns, six interceptions. I've said it on every podcast, everything that I've done here over the last couple of days. When you throw for 40 touchdowns on 70% completion at any level, you're a baller. 
But I think even with that as a background, I was even more impressed with Shador than I expected to be coming out of that game. Bottom line was FBS, FCS, and I know he talked about it a lot after the game. um, He just looked like a poised, confident quarterback who had been there before. And so, yes, Colorado has concerns, especially on the offensive line. But he's smart. He gets rid of the ball quickly. He reads defenses really well. And he just, I I don't think he's going to beat himself or beat Colorado at any point. And so we all watch football at all levels. Name me a time where if you don't have the best quarterback on the field and a real talent at that, you don't have a chance. That's exactly what Shador brings to this team. And I'll say this is, is, is listen, you know, I, I try to play to my strengths and weaknesses on this show. I am far from an NFL draft expert, but I saw a lot of people who are say all of a sudden, you know, we didn't know what to make a Shador playing at the FCS level, whatever. Well, I'll tell you what. There are people that are already saying now, like that kid could be a first round pick and probably will be a first round pick and certainly will be a first round pick if he continues to play like that. Um, Now you got to keep it up for 11 games, but what we saw from him was absolutely unbelievable. And if you have a first rounder, if you have the better quarterback in just about every game you play and we'll see, because Bo Nix is really good. Uh, There's a couple other guys that are really good. I think you got a chance. So one, it's Shador. Two, I think it's also worth noting. The skill position guys are awesome. And this is one thing. I think I undersold Shador a little bit. I'll give myself credit on the skill position guys. Because if you listen to this show all winter long, all spring long, all summer long, every time I talked about Colorado after the roster came together, what did I say? I said outside of USC, I think they're going to have the best skill position guys in the Pac-12. Well, what happened on Saturday? We saw it uh, in person. We know the stats, four different wide receivers going over 100 yards, but these guys are freaking dynamic. Xavier Weaver, six catches, 118 yards. Jimmy Horn, 11 catches, 117 yards. Travis Hunter, we all know about him, 11 catches, 119 yards. Dylan Edwards, that dynamic, fast, speedy wide receiver, uh, running back wide receiver hybrid, true freshman, flipped from Notre Dame. Five catches, 135 yards, three receiving touchdowns, one rushing touchdown. And so again, you get elite quarterback play and you got skill position guys that are difference makers. You can play with anybody. I just talked about it with Clemson. I think part of Clemson's problem, they don't have dudes that can break one tap tackle and then go 90 yards to the house. Colorado's got three or four of them. Dylan Edwards against a pretty good TCU defense just outran them two, three, four times. The other wide receivers, uh, you know, Travis Hunter outran his guy and just there's a couple times one of the ball just fell between his arms on that deep touch, what would have been a touchdown pass. And so you got the quarterback, you got the wide receivers. This to me is the blueprint. I get that Colorado isn't perfect. I get that the defense isn't elite, gave up a lot of points in the sun, the heat, the temperature in, in, in Fort Worth on Sunday, on Saturday. Offensive line isn't elite, but. It's not as though we haven't seen teams have success. If your quarterback's good enough, if your skill guys are good enough, and if you put it up, if you put up enough points, look at USC. People picked USC to win the Pac-12. People picked USC to make the playoff. Why? Because they got a great quarterback that can put up a lot of points, and they almost did it last year. They were one game away. Remember, they went to the Pac-12 championship game, and if they won, they were in the 14 college football playoff. This year, people think it's the same. The defense doesn't look much better, but you trust Caleb Williams, you trust Lincoln Riley. By the way, Lincoln Riley, never forget, has done this before. The year he had Kyler Murray, they were awful on defense. They were awful, and they made the college football playoff because Kyler Murray played like the number one overall pick in the draft. 
year before with Baker Mayfield, defense wasn't that good. Didn't matter. Baker Mayfield elevated them. Lincoln Riley's done it with the elite quarterback play, and there's no reason that Colorado can't win a lot of games because of Shador and the skill position guys. Which brings me to, let's just look at the schedule. Tell me where they are going to be severely undermanned. There may be a game or two, but there aren't many. You start with this weekend at Nebraska. We all watched Nebraska last weekend, and I know it's easy to say there's going to be a letdown, and maybe there will be. But at the same time, they're at home, great crowd. Nebraska's offense isn't very good. Nebraska's offense was basically all Jeff Sims running the football. You limit that a little bit. He's not a good passer. He's never been a good passer. Nebraska last week, under 300 yards of total offense, 114 yards of passing. 10 points in the entire game, and the touchdown came on a on a on a dropped ball that got thrown for a score. A dropped, you know, a dropped lateral to Jeff Sims to be clear to go for a score. So my whole point is even if Colorado's defense isn't elite, even if the offense doesn't play quite as well as last week, I mean, I think 28 points probably wins that game. 35 points certainly wins that game. And so you can't do that against Nebraska. I think you can if you put up 50 whatever or 48 against uh, 45 against TCU. Keep it going. You look at the rest of the schedule. USC, or excuse me, Oregon is after that. I will say Oregon is the one team, one of two or three, I do think will give Colorado problems because they're physical enough along the line of scrimmage, but they're so dynamic offensively. 81 points in their opener. Oregon looked awesome. We're going to learn a lot more about them against Texas Tech this weekend. But Oregon's one of two or three that I have circled that I think are going to be a real challenge for Colorado. But beyond that, USC comes to, to Boulder the following weekend. Respectful to USC. You think Shador Sanders can't go score for score with Caleb Williams the way USC's defense is playing? Not saying they'll win. I don't think it's inconceivable, though. Home game, it's going to be in some big window, either big noon kickoff or at night, whatever. Crowd's going to be rocking. Ticket sales are going to be through the roof if it isn't sold out already. Road game for Caleb Williams. And, And again, Shador can't go score for score with Caleb Williams on that awful USC defense. Let's keep it going. Arizona State's the next game. That should be a win. Stanford's the next game. That should definitely be a win. And I like Stanford. I think they're much improved under the first-year coach, Troy Taylor. They don't got dudes like Colorado's got. You keep it going. Late October after the bye at UCLA. Listen, I live in Pasadena. I live not far from the Rose Bowl. Rose Bowl ain't going to be packed. And if it is, it's going to be with a lot of Colorado fans wearing the Coach Prime gear that we sell at AaronTorresOnline.com. Uh, UCLA is not it, it, like it's going to be basically a neutral field. Um, going to be a lot of Colorado fans, and UCLA by then could be playing a true freshman at quarterback in Dante Moore. Got a lot of reps last weekend. We'll see if it happens again. But true freshman in a in a not hostile environment. You mean to tell me Colorado can't win that game? Following week, Oregon State at home. Oregon's big and physical. I still don't trust DJ Uilaganlele, the quarterback there. He was very good on Sunday against San Jose State. Oregon State should be able to control the line of scrimmage. They should be able to run the ball. But again, I don't think their offense is that dynamic. And can can Colorado's put up 28, 31 points? Maybe. Washington State or Arizona the following week. Arizona, really good on offense, really bad on defense. That sounds like Colorado. Washington State on the road and then at Utah. And look, I think Utah is going to be a challenge, right? By then, Cam Rising is going to be back. By then, Cam Rising is going to be 100%. But. I just think you look at the schedule. I mean, listen, I'll say this. I think there are two 
really, really tough games for Colorado. Utah, at Utah, and at Oregon. So at Utah and at Oregon. Those teams are big. Those teams are physical. Those teams are mean. Those teams are nasty. Oregon State's probably the same, but at least you get them at home later in the year. We'll see what the weather's like in that situation, although Oregon State is good at home. But I'm telling you, you look at some of these teams, and I like UCLA. I think UCLA is better than people give them credit for, but you can't beat UCLA. If things break right, you can't compete with USC. I'm telling you, man, it's just so interesting because the narrative has changed so much on this team just in the last couple days. You look at this Colorado team. I said the ceiling was the bowl was a bowl game. I think they're going to a bowl game. It's just a matter of how much better than six and six they are. All right, this is what we're going to do. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, cannot believe we're actually going to talk a little college basketball. But John Calipari, Kentucky, they have an elite NBA caliber recruit named Zvonavir Ivisic, who right now Kentucky has not admitted to school. And they basically have a day or two to get him in, or this kid's going to bounce and go somewhere else. Fascinating story. Quick break. Be right back. All right, everybody. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. So good to be back. And I do want to go ahead and wrap, actually, with a little bit of college hoops. I'll be blunt. I thought once we got through like that, that late July Russia recruiting stuff, I figured we were pretty much done talking all things college hoops until at least closer to the season, maybe in mid to late October. By the way, we got some big things coming for the Aaron Torres pod, the college hoops daily pod for this college basketball season. Make sure you stay tuned. A lot of good stuff coming there. But at the same time, like I said, thought we were done talking college hoops, thought we could fully focus on college football for the next month or so at least until Labor Day night into Monday, where a very, very interesting story broke uh, about a very, very interesting player in a very, very interesting situation. It involves the player Zvonavir Ivisic, or Big Z as the kids call him. If you're a listener of the show, you may be familiar, but if you're not, let me kind of give a little bit of a backstory. He was the kid, seven foot two, from Croatia, went through the NBA draft process. And when the NBA draft process was done, it was kind of just, you know, whatever he's going to do, whatever it is that you do when you play professionally in Europe, withdrew from the draft. And, and the thought was, of course, at the time that he was going back to Europe. Then in like mid to late July, you start to hear whispers that not only is he considering coming to play college basketball in the U.S., but that Kentucky is a favorite. And then seemingly overnight, out of nowhere, he was just a Kentucky Wildcat. Went from completely off everybody's radar to, oh, he may play college basketball too. He was a Kentucky Wildcat within like a week. And so we talked about it when he committed. And it was funny because I remember at the time, a couple of you asked me, do you think there's going to be any eligibility concerns? And what I said at the time, I said, I don't think Kentucky does all the work that it takes to get this kid uh, to, to recruit him, to go overseas, to woo him, to pitch him, to get NIL in place, whatever it may be. If they're not 100% positive that he's going to clear, be cleared by the NCAA and eligible to play. Well, fast forward to Labor Day night. My old buddy, Matt Jones, Kentucky Sports Radio, put out a very interesting report. And apparently I was half right in that analysis when he committed to Kentucky. That is because while Big Z's Vonavir Ivisevich has long since been cleared by the NCAA, 
the University of Kentucky's school admissions has not yet admitted him here, and the semester is already underway. And so I am far from an expert on the admissions process at the University of Kentucky, but essentially today, I'm recording here late on Tuesday night, is kind of the last day that they can admit him into school so that he can enroll in the fall. And basically, if they don't admit him here very soon, he will not be eligible to play this semester at Kentucky, and he could very well decommit and end up at another college this year already reports that schools are reaching out. And so I want to talk about this to be clear late Monday night as I record. Stuff is moving. Stuff is happening. Um, and I just want that to be out there. By the time you listen to this, he may have already been admitted to Kentucky. By the time you listen to this, he may have been decommitted from Kentucky and looking for a new option. But the bottom line remains, this is one of the most surreal, weird, bizarre recruiting stories that I can ever remember. Now, a lot of you probably sitting there wondering if you're not a UK fan, why has he not been admitted? What is the issue? It must be something. Well, apparently, according to Matt and multiple other reports, essentially the school has not admitted him because he has not passed an English language exam. Now, on the surface, that seems as though that would be a big deal, but there's a couple little caveats with that. One, the University of Kentucky's own admissions office, and it's on the website, Justin Rowland, who covers football for UK, excellent guy, I mean, excellent reporter, good guy, I know him a little bit, kind of found this list of all these countries that if you're applying to Kentucky from XYZ, you know, whatever uh, country, you don't even have to pass it, uh, an English language test. Here's the crazy part, though. He did pass an English language test. It was just not the one that Kentucky requires. So he passed a separate English language test. It's worth noting that when he went through the NBA draft process, he was in the United States. He was doing interviews you can find online in English. So it's not as though he can't speak English at all. And on top of that, um, he passed the English. He passed one English test, then went to take the other one, didn't pass it. But again, he didn't really have time. He was rushed. He wasn't. He didn't have time to prepare, whatever. And so that is the holdup right now with Kentucky. And let me just say, man, like, like shame on Kentucky for this. And I think in my opinion, it's for a couple different reasons. One, I'm not just let anybody in guy. I'm not, you know, if a guy is incapable of doing the work, this isn't, I'm not trying to be offensive or rude or mean or whatever. If a guy or girl can't like literally can't do the work because they don't speak the language, then yeah, that's a conversation to be had. This is not that case though. As I said, conversational English, not great, but tell you what, he speaks English as a second, third language better than I do any second language. Um, by the way, I, I saw something, I think it was Jack Pilgrim that said he speaks four languages pretty fluently, probably a pretty sharp kid. Okay. But one, he speaks English. So it's not as though like he, if he comes to campus, he will be incapable of doing the work. That is not the case at all. On top of that, um, again, he has already passed an English exam. And I think it's worth noting, the NCAA has already cleared him to play. So the NCAA has said he he meets all our requirements, um, you know, whether it's test scores, whether it's transcript, whether it's whatever. We're good here. We're hands off here. And it's Kentucky that's holding him back over this test, even though he already passed another test. And it's obviously not something that's going to hold him back. And so it's a frustrating deal. And I feel for a lot of different people here. You know, one, I feel for the kid. My understanding is, um, you know, he's just kind of in complete limbo as I record this. And again, it's always subject to change. Essentially, he can't, he's in Croatia right now. 
he cannot leave Croatia because he can't come to the United States without a student visa. Can't get a student visa without being accepted to the university. And so it's like the kid wants to come. The kid wants to play college basketball and the school won't let him. I would I would say this too, by the way, and I know I'm going in a lot of different directions, but stuff's kind of coming to my head as I'm recording here. I do find it kind of rich that of all schools, it's the University of Kentucky that is not admitting him. And I and by the way, Kentucky fans, I apologize. This isn't a knock on your university, your school, whatever. But this is a school that let's be blunt. Kentucky is the one and done school. Meaning that they for the past decade and change have admitted literally dozens of kids to the university that everybody knows are only going to be there for one year. Now, to be fair, a lot of them come back after they go to the NBA or go pro and their careers finish. I know Tyler Eulis is on the UK staff right now taking classes towards his degree. John Wall has taken classes towards his degree. So it's not as though to say that none of them ever come back and, and, and finish up the degree. But Kentucky for a decade has been admitting dozens of kids, probably four, five, six a year that they know have no intention of staying for four full years. But this kid who speaks English isn't being allowed. That feels absurd to me because ultimately, isn't that what higher education is about? Isn't higher education about affording educational opportunities to people of all different walks of life, ages, ethnicities, races, rich, poor, whatever? Again, I know I'm repeating myself. It's not as though he can't do the work. He can do the work. He's capable. He can speak the language. He's going to do it. Said I feel bad for the kid. Also do feel a little bit bad for John Calipari. This is not a John Calipari thing. And we've talked about admissions stuff on this show before, most recently with Caleb Love. And I talked about it at the time with Caleb Love when he was denied admission at Michigan. And what I said was, listen, every coaching staff generally has people in admissions that they can go to with questions before they get too far down the road in a recruitment. Um, And so, and I've used the example, some schools very particular about their graduate programs. I, I know for a fact, I'll just say it. I don't know if I should or not. UCLA is very particular about letting in grad transfers at UCLA. It's because UCLA has one of the most applied to grad schools in the world. um, And they don't want a basketball player that's only going to be there for six months to take a spot in a program that let's say 5,000 people are applying for 25 spots, right? That's UCLA. Other schools are different. They're lenient with grad programs. Some schools I mentioned back with the Caleb Love thing. I know of another school. They don't want transfers if you have if you have already completed your sophomore year of undergrad. Essentially, they don't want you coming to their school for a year or 18 months and getting a degree without going through the process. So I could go on and on. But but my point is, I don't blame John Calipari here because I am sure that he made sure that all his boxes were checked before he even started recruiting this kid. You don't send coaches overseas multiple times. You don't do what you need to do. I'm sure this kid has an agent. I'm sure there's NIL involved. I'm sure. And again, by the way, whether there is or isn't student visas, this, that, there's a lot of things that you have to go through. And so to be, to use a football term, since it is now football season on the one inch line, ready to punch this thing in and start your practices. It is so, so, so frustrating. So again, we'll update this story. If there are changes, uh, I'm, I'm recording here at about seven o'clock Eastern time here on Tuesday night. By the time you listen to this, something may have changed, but this is disappointing. And it's really disappointing from the UK admissions office, because as I said, higher education, 
there's not supposed to be, um, you know, uh, whatever. It's supposed to be available if you're capable to rich, poor, black, white, foreign, U.S., whatever. And they're clearly letting this kid down. And on a basketball level, on a sports level, they're letting the school's basketball program down as well. Ooh, Torres is fired up here on a Wednesday. I think that's it. I think that's it for this episode of the Air Torres Sports Podcast. Uh, it is time for me to get out of here. Barring something interesting with this Evichit story, uh, we will get back to all football on Friday. We got a lot to talk about on Friday. Obviously, previewing Texas A&M, or excuse me, Texas, Alabama, Texas A&M, Miami, uh, Colorado, Nebraska. A lot of really good stuff here over the next couple days in the lead up to a busy, busy week two in college football. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you're subscribed. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media. Social media is blowing up. I appreciate everybody's support. At Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter. At Aaron Torres pod on Instagram. The YouTube channel, we're closing in on 25K. Can we get there this week? I think we can. Need your, need your support. Make sure to subscribe there. Um, and really, that's it. That's all for today's show. Appreciate everybody's support. And we will be back on Friday with a new episode. Also, College Football Betting Show will have a new episode on Thursday, so make sure you subscribe to that feed as well. But it is time for me to get out of here. Shout out to Torn Frank. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-Ed, unblock me, bro. Also, remember, help control the pet population, have your pet spayed or neutered. R.I.P. Bob Barker. Goodbye, everybody. Talk to you Friday.